Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is Jewel. Welcome back to Canna Confidential. Today, we have some great articles to discuss with you. And Cheryl is with me, the owner of Kinhana Craft Cannabis. So we're going to get started with our first article out of Canada. And this comes from Global News. Canadians have slowed their buying frenzy when purchasing pot amid the pandemic, according to cannabis company executives. Aurora Cannabis Incorporated noticed the COVID-19 boom in cannabis sales dissipating, according to Michael Singer, the interim chief executive. There was a kind of pantry loading in late March when there was a concern that maybe the supply chain would be closed down and whether cannabis as an industry would be deemed essential. This is according to Michael Singer. After the industry was deemed an essential service in several provinces, things went back down to pre-pandemic levels. In Aurora's third quarter, which ended on March 31st and encompassed the first weeks many Canadians spent working from home as well as physical distancing, the Edmonton-based company sold 12,729 kilograms of cannabis, amounting to 39% more than the quarter before. That spike was also seen in March and April by provincial pot distributors Ontario Cannabis Store and Société des Québécois de Cannabis. The SQDC declined to say how sizable their increase was, but the OCS said in mid-April that its online orders tripled since COVID-19 started to unfold across the country. The OCS received between 2,500 and 3,500 orders prior to March 9th. In the weeks after mass adoption of physical distancing, these orders doubled to 5,000. Orders doubled again, topping out at 13,000 for one particular week. While it's likely there was some stockpiling, orders have maintained at the 5,000 plus orders per day level, still much higher than before COVID-19. Many products, including edibles and seeds, continue to sell quickly. And that's according to David Roderick, the OCS's Director of Communications. So what we're seeing here is very encouraging because it means that that jump in sales wasn't necessarily due to COVID-19, at least doubling. The jump to 13,000 in one week could be attributed to the pandemic, but we are still seeing consistent growth of this sector, which is very encouraging. And we knew it was going to happen. It's just a matter of time. When will people feel comfortable enough to start using the legal market more and more? And as the government sorts out what the restrictions are in terms of micro cultivators selling or standard producers selling. Does everyone have to go through the OCS or not? That is how people are going to end up being more comfortable with the entire industry. And while some might think that cannabis is the the hoarding version of toilet paper when the pandemic first started. I don't think that's true. I think this is just the what we naturally are going to see. The sales are going to increase and keep on increasing over top of itself on a steady basis. I don't think this has anything to do with the pandemic. Well, it's just the nature of the business. As it becomes more mature and, and people get more comfortable with the process, then yes, more and more people will begin using it. People who maybe never used before it was legal will now start becoming part of the industry. Feeling more comfortable with it and and moving that way. 
I want to talk about something very positive that I see happening in the uh, in the industry. A cannabis staffing agency in Toronto has launched a public database to connect displaced marijuana professionals with prospective employers. The initiative comes as a struggling marijuana firm and other firms eliminated an estimated 2,700 positions in Canada over the past nine months, including 910 after COVID-19, the pandemic started, according to the Cannabis at Work Employment Agency. That's about a 30% of the industry's workforce. Cannabis at Work launched an open source database called Cannabis Talent Help List to help connect growing businesses with cannabis professionals that are looking to secure new employment. The Cannabis Talent Help List is a resource for employers in the cannabis sector to access great talent that's on the market and actively looking for work, CEO Allison McMahon said via email. There's more great cannabis talent on the job market than ever before, and knowing that that many people are out of work, we wanted to serve the industry by making it easier for those employers to hiring access, hiring access great team members. It's a win-win for everyone. The list contained almost 250 names as of May 13th. Job losses were already being shed and the pandemic has fast-tracked more job loss, she said. Growing pains, mostly at large producers who grew too far and too fast, resulted in significant job losses. Formerly high-flying companies, including Canopy, Aurora and Sundial, have discharged hundreds of employees in recent months as net accumulated losses extended into the billions of dollars. In some cases, the poor financial performance of the business has already cost respective CEOs of their jobs. And so for that, for us, that means that this company that has been making money off of placing employ employees with employers has opened a database to the public to help people that have been displaced find jobs. And I think that's a wonderful thing. That's a great thing, not just for the cannabis industry, but it's it's so nice to see the community coming together to try and help people who were making their livelihood out of working in this industry, something most people who get involved are very passionate about. And it's great to see them assisting those people in this way. And the really wonderful thing about something like this, where people have gone to these jobs and they've picked up tidbits and gotten educated on the legal market, now, all of these people, so far 250, uh, they know what is missing from the cannabis market. So it's a perfect opportunity for an ancillary business. Maybe they don't want to be a cultivator, but maybe they have a great design for rolling papers, or maybe they have the perfect recipe that has no vitamin E acetate for vape pens. You never know what a situation like this can add to the industry, but we see the big companies struggling, but new micros are getting licensed every day from just small independent growers who are, are going to be small businesses. And these 250 could be the next 100 micro cultivators. They could. And it's, uh, you know, we've all heard the become the Levi's to the to the gold rush. So someone might have a great idea for a trimming machine or a, an idea for a new soil mixture or some great idea that they will now be able to blossom forward with maybe not being in the cultivation industry anymore, but, but being an ancillary part of it. And seeing cannabis as the gold rush and Levi's as the secondary business from that 
is a great new perspective that a lot of people maybe hadn't considered before, but you might have skills that you thought cultivation was the only way in, but maybe you have some other technique or way of doing something related to the industry that could be an incredible business opportunity that you maybe wouldn't have explored if you didn't have this this opening. That's correct. And so if you are one of those displaced CEOs or an employee of one of those major companies and you are looking for work, check out Cannabis at Work and their free database, the open database is Cannabis Talent Help List. So now we'll go to our next article, which is from MJ Biz Daily regarding Aurora selling a major facility for a third of the price that it paid originally. Aurora Cannabis, deep in the red, accepted an offer for its large greenhouse in Exeter, Ontario, for what appears to be approximately half of its $17 million Canadian dollar listing price and one-third of the original purchase price. The deal comes amid a broad retreat from some unlicensed and fully licensed cannabis greenhouses in recent months by the largest Canadian producers who overspent on cultivation spaces in 2017 as well as 2018. The Exeter sale signals that those producers may have a hard time recouping costs on the greenhouses, which can cost upwards of 200 million Canadian to build, especially as cultivators turn to outdoor production to cut costs. Other producers mothballing or selling greenhouses include Canopy Growth and the Green Organic Dutchman. Last year, Aurora ceased construction at facilities in Alberta and Denmark. An adjacent 95 acres of land was listed with the Exeter Greenhouse for an additional 2 million Canadian, according to a listing on Cushman and Wakefield's website that aligned with the Aurora property. Aurora did not immediately reply to a query about whether the adjacent plot was included in the sale. The 1 million square foot facility and 164 acre property were originally purchased by Ontario cannabis producer Medrelief for 26 million Canadian in early 2018. Weeks later, Aurora agreed to purchase Medrelief in a $3.2 billion Canadian dollar deal that included the Exeter assets. At the time, Aurora boasted the sale was, quote, the world's largest cannabis industry transaction. Aurora committed to selling the Exeter land and greenhouse last November as part of a plan to, quote, rationalize capital expenditures to deal with demand, it said in a regulatory filing. The same filing noted that Aurora accepted an offer for the Exeter property for net proceeds of $8.6 million, and the deal was slated to close in May. Additionally, Aurora said it recognized impairment losses of $9.6 million Canadian and $11 million Canadian impairment on the property during the three- and nine-month periods ending March 31st, respectively. Retrofitting the greenhouse for cannabis production would likely have required significant outlays. The facility was never listed as fully licensed for cannabis production and sale. This week, Aurora reported a net loss of 137 million Canadian in its third quarter, an improvement over the $1.3 billion Canadian net loss in the previous three-month period. There's a lot to unpack here, but basically it underlines what we've seen before that these companies got too big too fast and there's somebody in Exeter who got a really great deal on a brand new cannabis facility. And talking about that property being sold. So I don't know what that property was before, but it would have originally housed uh, poinsettias or peonies or roses or tomatoes or some other product that 
created a shortage in the market because the greenhouse had rededicated to cannabis. Now, I don't know what they're going to do with that greenhouse now, but um, if it does roll back to poinsettias or peonies or tomatoes, um, it will fill that void back up again and create a little bit of a tightening up in the cannabis market. Which is really great because there are a lot of micro cultivators that are being licensed and some that are licensed that are working on growing a really incredible quality product. And you can attribute it to the pandemic or not, but people, especially recently, seem to be far more conscious with trying to get things closer to home, whether that's for the convenience of it or the fact that they just simply can't get access to the things that they maybe had access to before for shipping times or supply chain issues, whatever it is, people seem to be looking closer to home to purchase necessities, whether that's starting a garden or going to your local craft cannabis producer. And that's the real benefit of these larger companies um, not really hitting the mark is it's creating quite an opening in the entire market for really quality craft product to come through, even to the point where if you're growing something that incredible, you being a boutique grower might have a wait list that people are so familiar with your product and it's there's such a high demand for the quality and the niche market that you're filling that you could sell your entire crop before it's even finished just via a wait list. There are companies out there, I mean wine companies, that when they release the the vintage, it gets sold out before uh, the product hits the market. And I think, I believe that there are going to be craft growers that have that magic pixie dust that is going to make their product uh, more interesting to a connoisseur that as soon as it, as soon as they announce that the product is going to be ready on, you know, a particular date, they're going to start getting orders in advance and sell out before the product actually hits the market. And that's a great point that you bring up, especially for anybody who's traveled to a new city or a new region of the country, and you've tasted the food that they have there, or you you've tasted their tomatoes, and they're so incredibly fresh and delicious, and or you've been to a winery and you've tasted the the wine right there at the facility, there's something to that. There's something to the magic that happens in a facility, whether you're talking about Guinness being brewed in Dublin or a wine that's been bottled specifically in Napa, California, that you can't necessarily get in the Champagne region of France or in Bordeaux, France. It's exclusive to California, and there's something about that that they do there in their facilities that give it that pixie dust. And it could be the water. It could be the combination of the soils that they have naturally in that environment. It could be a mixture of, you know, any number of things that are going on inside a cultivation that makes that cultivation unique to any other cultivation. And I love that we're just going to see more and more of that in the industry as the big companies struggle. It's like I said, it's just creating this huge space in the market for some really fantastic niche things to start happening where you've got different strains that have been grown in grown in special types of water or they've experimented with a new organic fertilizer and the result was this and it has this flavor profile. It's just very, very exciting. I think I speak for both of us when I say that it's a shame to see the large companies struggle. It's a shame to see, you know, the employees that 
were passionate about their jobs be displaced, but it does create an opening for the micros. Well, and you have to pick up and move forward. Nobody yeah. says that the that there's not a place for corporate cannabis. There will always be a place for that to exist in the Ontario Cannabis Store or even just available online to the market at large. But a lot of people really enjoy a craft-produced product because of what it is and mm-hmm. how there's something to that that you can't get from a large producer. But there will always be a place for that. And I don't think either one of us would would cheer to see a corporate cannabis company go down because they have opened a lot of doors for the industry. Absolutely. It's just a balance, really, of, yeah. of getting striking that perfect balance between knowing that those large companies are necessary, but also making it possible for small producers to thrive. In doing my research for the show this week, I found an interesting article about a lawyer, John Conroy, who has been at the heart of several major Canadian cannabis legalization cases, including the Alred decision. His, uh, his platform is that he feels the federal government's regulations on edibles, extracts, and topicals deserve a constitutional challenge. This, um, this is among stranger aspects of Canadian cannabis law. Conroy's involvement in this case is important because of his role in the Alred case, as well as that of Owen Smith. In the Smith case, the Supreme Court of Canada found in 2015 that it was unconstitutional to charge a man with preparing cannabis cookies for a compassion club as medical users have the right to access cannabis. To ban such preparations of the plant, the court found foreclosed reasonable medical choices through the threat of criminal prosecution. Similarly, by forcing a person to choose between a legal but inadequate treatment and an illegal but more effective one, the law was infringing upon the security of the person. Conroy says the edible's package limit of 10 milligrams of THC was far too little for some medical consumers who do not have access to edibles directly from the LPs they're required to buy from. While we have separate streams for medical and adult use recreational cannabis, Health Canada is framing edibles and ingestibles as for adult use purposes. As many medical cannabis users with chronic pain will tell you, whole flower edibles are among the most effective delivery systems for soothing those long-term discomforts. Which makes it even stranger that Health Canada has not authorized a separate stream for more powerful edibles for medical patients. So while edibles will be sold as recreational, meaning the Health Canada regulations will determine to freeze THC content at a fraction of the amount many medical users need for relief, With that in mind, Conroy will challenge the ban under Section 7 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, saying it cannot arbitrarily deprive medicinal cannabis patients of their right to the security of the the person. So it, it opens up a door for medical people to, medical patients, to access cannabis with a higher THC per serving. So in, if you, in Canada, in Ontario, we have 10 milligrams per gummy or per square of chocolate, and there cannot be more than 100 milligrams in the entire package of gummies or a chocolate bar. For some people, they need more than 100 milligrams, and to have to ingest a whole chocolate bar or a whole packet of gummies might interrupt something else in their body. Maybe they're diabetic, and you know, to eat that much 
sugar or chocolate would interfere with their diabetes. It, for a medical patient, there has to be a separate stream. And I think that's getting to the heart of it, is that there is a recreational market and there is a medical market, and we are still sort of waiting for the fallout, separation, whatever it's going to look like, to occur. It seems like a lot of the legislation is more directed towards the recreational market because we have had the medical market for quite a while in in the U.S. and in Canada, although not federally in the U.S., but statewide medical cannabis has been available for several years. And that's, I think, the issue is that a lot of people maybe would like to use medical cannabis but don't necessarily feel comfortable having that conversation with their medical practitioner so instead they turn to what would sort of be termed the recreational route which is purchasing it from the Ontario cannabis store instead of going to a clinic that specializes in medical cannabis that sets them up with a LP that that sends them a certain Per amount of flour per month or or whatnot because it's really the edibles that have that uh, amount on them but then some people can't use flour or some people can only use edibles so it's quite a tricky place to be but I think what ultimately needs to happen is a more clear separation between this is what the medical route looks like and this is what the recreational route looks like because we don't have a frame for this. Alcohol, certainly, they treat cannabis the way they treat alcohol. And alcohol really has no medical, aside from rubbing alcohol, has no medical benefit. So it, it is a league of its own in that sense that you are really going to need two lanes for people to, to fit into. And I think that's going to be Mr. Conroy's platform. If you'd like to read more information or follow along with Mr. Conroy's uh, case, it's, you can find it in leafly.ca. Our next article also comes from MJ Biz Daily. Ontario Cannabis Store adding seeds to catalog to, quote, breathe life into category. The Ontario Cannabis Store is aiming to create a robust regulated marketplace of seeds varieties in an attempt to wrest market shares from entrenched illicit sellers. The provincial wholesaler is currently onboarding seeds from two companies and is in talks with several others to bring their offerings to Canada's largest adult-use marijuana market, the OCS senior category manager Peter Shearer told MJ Biz Daily. The addition of the new seed selections from ANC Cannabis, a micro-class license holder in Alberta, as well as British Columbia-based Progeny Bioagricultural Services, will increase selection for consumers who currently have only one legal choice, Baker Street from Tweed. That product is currently out of stock. The addition of ANC has breathed life back into the category and opened people's eyes to the potential of this segment, Shearer said. The news has sparked a considerable amount of interest from other producers to come to the table with seed offerings. The category manager is in talks with several other companies. What is so fascinating about this conversation of seeds coming to the OCS is that that's a conversation that micros are having behind closed doors all around right now. Unless you came into your license with a serious backlog of genetics, then that's the conversation that you're going to be having. Where are you going to get your genetics from? And and if you're growing at home and you're growing your four plants, it's the same sort of conversation. There aren't a lot of options for accessing legally 
certain strains that people really gravitate towards, whether that's OG Kush or Charlotte's Web. And that's, it's important to see them, even if they're not necessarily handling this on a standard producer or a micro producer level, it's important to see this happening for individuals because anybody who wants to cultivate their four plants should have more than five seeds to choose from. And except for Quebec and Manitoba, unless that's recently changed, everyone in Canada, every household is allowed to have four plants. But in opening that door or Pandora's box, they have forced people to source those seeds from black market sources. So opening the door at OCS and allowing people to access seeds, again, closes another door on the black market. And that's, there needs to be some system in place where it's, you know, they just blanket say, okay, for the next six months or whatever, whatever material you get is now part of the legal market. And because otherwise, how are they possibly going to get all of these strains that are in the black market moved into the legal market? Yeah, yeah, it has to be done, I think, a fell swoop, like over a six-month period and then close the door. And that's just it, because yeah. otherwise, you it's not like you can start genetics from new. Although you, every time they close a door, it spurs the black market. So it's... Um, if they close the door to allow genetics or seeds into the into the marketplace, it, there will still be underground trading happening. So then maybe they just open it up completely. Not to say that they should or shouldn't. This is really just a hypothetical conversation. Mm -hmm. But maybe seeds, it's just open. They can come from anywhere. Yeah. There's really yeah. no other way to determine how to how to cut it off at the knees. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds, but it's encouraging to see that the Ontario Cannabis Store is doing what they can to try and provide people with legal seed options. There, there are uh, groups that I follow on social media that uh, there are people looking for seeds. They have a specific illness and they're looking for specific strains or terpenes and don't know where to find them. Now, I don't know... I mean, it's as simple as Google, isn't it, to find the seeds that you're looking for for a, a particular uh, terpene profile or a particular strain that you're looking for. But there are people out there actively looking for seeds and don't know how to access them. So this is great news. There's also no way to verify that the seeds you're getting are actually what you asked for. <laughs> so if there was another system so in place where the seeds could be genetically tested to determine what the terpene profile is, what the THC content is prior to the plant or the seeds then being sold, if you knew where the mother was and could do the genetic testing, and then those seeds particularly were coming from a legal source, it would be easier to track. But at this point, seeds could be a totally different strain, everything from what you think you're getting. And I have grown seeds from the same envelope side by side, and one goes very sativa, and the other one is very indica looking. And they seem, they're supposed to be the same seed, and yet growing them out, they look entirely different. And that can be contributed to genetics if you've got a hybrid, or it could be contributed to a mixed bag of seeds that you don't know. You think yeah. you're buying one thing and you actually end up with 10 different plants because that's what they put in, in the envelope that they mailed you, I legal seen, or not. I have, I have said that for a long time that 
when you open that little envelope at home with the seeds, how do you know that somebody didn't drop a bag on the floor of the nursery and just sort of pick them all up and they get all mixed together and who knows what's going on now? It's just, it's a cannabis seed, but you don't know if it really is the strain that you're looking for. Yeah, a better system would be not just the Ontario Cannabis Store, but the Ontario Cannabis Seed Bank. Mm -hmm. An entire ancillary business dedicated <laughs> specifically to seeds and There's managing one of them. those businesses i have an article right now from meg hartley i got it from leafly.ca and we are going to move into news for the u.s right so this this, this is from a, a canadian um, magazine but it is profiling people in the u.s she says, being a medical cannabis patient often means knowing two worlds, the symptom-ridden world of being in need of medication and the world of bodily woes dramatically reduced. Because the endocannabinoid system works with other systems throughout the body, cannabis is able to lessen or even eliminate painful health conditions for millions of patients around the world. I am such one such medicator. I often find myself describing the sensation of how cannabis changes my symptoms of illness with illustrative language. I wondered how other medical cannabis patients describe the before and after of symptoms, so I reached out to other fighters of a variety of health conditions for some insight on how it feels for them. I discovered that I am far from being alone in understanding that magic moment of relief, from CBD giving one woman back her ability to drive and to dream, not at the same time, of course, to one man's sudden insight into how Popeye must feel when spinach gives him that pep. This plant is helping all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And she goes on to have in, in, uh, interviewed people from all over. Uh, a gal from San Diego uses it for mixed connective tissue disease. Uh, Brian Penny uses it for chronic pain. Uh, there's another person that uses it for irritable bowel syndrome somebody else using it for fibromyalgia. All the details are available on the uh, leafly.ca. But it, it goes on to, to let you know that cannabis works on all kinds of illnesses. And if you have something that you're not sure, trying it out low and slow is the way to go. And finding out that if it does work for you, because you're not always gonna get the support you're looking for from the medical stream. And more to that point, there's a lot of communities online. You can certainly reach out to us and we'll do our very best to point you in the direction of a community that might be able to help you determine your best options. But aside from that, looking for those communities online, these conversations are happening, whether it's a group of people who all are experiencing fibromyalgia or all experiencing missed connective tissue, mixed connective tissue issues. And any number of these ailments potentially can be almost fully treated with cannabis in varying dosages and degrees. So it's amazing to see people proactively doing their own research, finding resources for themselves to get access to plant-based medicine, which is more conducive to your bodily system than a pharmaceutical-based chemical. I had an interesting conversation with a person not too long ago about how he felt that cannabis wasn't helping him with his issue. And he changed strains, got a different uh, strain with a different terpene profile, and boom, it 
dealt with it and it was gone. And that's exactly what I was saying to someone just today that just because somebody says this dosage will work for this this ailment, you have your own endocannabinoid system that is interacting with the other systems of your body. So that's why the low and slow method is the key for personal use because you don't know if you need one milligram or five milligrams and you don't know if it should be OG Kush or blueberry Kush. You don't know what terpene profile is going to work the best for you. So it doesn't just because it doesn't work once doesn't mean that it's not going to work again, which is a little bit scary when you are quote unquote experimenting. But that's the benefit of this is that as long as you're doing it responsibly, it is plant based medicine. So the effects are not going to be long term damaging. When you think about it, though, even when if you go to a doctor and you say, I've got a bad back and the doctor says, OK, well, we're going to try this. And if you have any adverse reactions, stop taking it and call me and we'll figure out something. It's the same thing with cannabis. If this doesn't work for you, try a different strain. Try a different terpene profile and perhaps it will work. Try the different levels and perhaps you'll find the right one that works for you. And if not, just keep trying low and slow until you find the one that hopefully will work for you. In fact, all medicine is like that. When, yeah. when you think about it, there's no miracle cure, quote unquote, for every single ailment. Every patient has their customized plan of care that is, okay, we'll troubleshoot this and we'll try this and all these different things. And cannabis is no different. It just happens to come from a plant. So it is more in line with your natural systems. Now, We'll discuss a Watershed 420 from the Cannabis. Uh, this article says that the U.S. cannabis market is poised to hit $25 billion by 2025. According to the latest forecast from cannabis analytics firm New Frontier Data, the research and data firm on Friday released revised industry sales projections predicting that the 8.3 billion U.S. medical and recreational market industry will grow at a compound annual rate of 14.7% to an estimated 25 billion by 2025. That 25 billion should be split equally between medical and recreational cannabis, New Frontier officials said. Medical marijuana sales are expected to grow from 5.1 billion at a compound annual growth rate of 11.8%. Recreational sales should see an accelerated growth increasing from 3.2 billion at a combined at a compound annual growth rate of 18.4%. With a number of states expected to advance cannabis legalization measures in the next 24 months, more Americans will be able to access legal cannabis in the years to come, making this a watershed 420. This is according to New Frontier Data's chief executive officer. Full details of the projections were not initially available. This, if you're looking to invest, numbers like that of compound increase are exactly what you're looking for especially anything over 10 percent anybody who does any kind of investing knows that that is a good return for a year so to see the market go from 8.3 billion to 25 billion in just five short years is is remarkable and i think it just sheds light on the fact that federally legalizing cannabis is 
on the horizon for the U.S., which is encouraging because it's definitely going to help the debt situation that the U.S. is in, but it's also going to provide so much access for people who live in states that aren't currently legal that it would do so much for them. And that's really what it comes down to is that it is just plant-based medicine that has to be treated responsibly, but it can do so much good for so many people. There's no reason that it shouldn't be available. It will do good for the medical patient. It will do good for unemployment. Unemployment's running at 15% in the U.S., and that hasn't been seen for decades. So it would employ a whole lot of people, and the tax revenue that would come off of it would would be a much-needed boost into the economy. Especially right now, because they're staring down the barrel of um, pandemic-induced market slowdown. Mm-hmm. And, and this would definitely give it the boost that, that it needs at this point in time. I have a very interesting article here about a cannabis software company called Akerna. They trade on NASDAQ under K-E-R-N. The parent company of MJ Freeway disclosed in its 10 slash Q for the quarter ending March 31st that it received $2.2 million in the Paycheck Protection Program loan in April. The company received the loan, which is guaranteed by the Small Business Administration, so we'll call that SBA, prior to guidance that was issued on April 23rd, and it's evaluating the impact this guidance has on Akerna and the PPP loan though it's not clear what exactly the company is evaluating. MassRoots also received a PPP loan that was disclosed in its SEC filings, which created an uproar as companies that derive revenue from the cannabis industry may be prohibited from accessing SBA loans. Cannabis-focused law firm Vicente Sedberg stated, quote, while SBA has not formally addressed the eligibility of marijuana businesses for the broader Paycheck Protection Program, it appears prior SBA regulation and policy guidance may prohibit access to this program by marijuana businesses and certain other types of businesses. Now, it goes on to say that a Kerna can prepay the 20% of the loan at any time, but prepayment in excess of 20% will require the company to pay all accrued interest if the loan has been sold on the secondary market. The two-year loan carries an interest rate of only 1% with interest deferred for the first six months. The company did not disclose which lender provided this money. I find this absolutely amazing that federally cannabis is not legal. However, the SBA, which is a federal government organization, is loaning money to cannabis companies, especially for paycheck protection. And I will touch on that after reading my next article, which ties into that very well. So this is the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, Cannabis banking has been okayed in passing the $3 trillion coronavirus bill. And this is from MJ Biz Daily. The U.S. House of Representatives late Friday passed a $3 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill that includes a provision that would allow banks to serve state legal marijuana businesses without fear of punishment. The bill passed along partisan lines by a 208 to 199 margin and now heads to the Senate where it faces fierce Republican resistance. The Health and Economic Recovery Omnibus Emergency Solutions, or HEROES Act, includes the Safe Banking Act, which the U.S. House separately approved last fall, but that has been stuck in a Senate committee. So this article goes on to discuss more of the HEROES Act and how it affects 
cannabis businesses or marijuana businesses in states where it's legal. But it it's very telling to see these sorts of actions happening where, like the article that you just shared about how federal funds are being incorporated in cannabis industry businesses. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is happening here. And this is sort of the precursor that leads into it's like soft legalization if you will where they're they're allowing federal money to get involved in a quote illegal industry and there's no way to backtrack that really and they're recognizing that there is there is a positive here there there's something going on that we that the government needs to be part of to provide jobs to create tax base revenue they recognize that there's something going on and they want to be part of it, but they just haven't gotten to the point where they're going to pull the trigger and legalize. Well, and the bottom line, if you want to take it right down to brass tacks, is that these cannabis businesses in the states where it's legal have contributed very significantly to the bottom line of tax revenue. And so by not Billions. supporting these businesses, mm -hmm. they're risking that influx of cash to the state revenue. So each state's representative is then responsible for securing the interests of that state, which in is in large part due to the heavy cash flow that comes from the cannabis industry. So you can take all of the semantics out of it about what's good for people and what's not and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, it comes right down to the money. Follow the money. And it just makes financial sense to protect this industry, especially at a time when people are feeling uncertain about things. And I like the quote, the phrase that you just used, a soft, soft legalization. Yeah. yeah. So now we'll do our final article for the, today, and that's coming uh, from the global industry. So UK cannabis firm has been bought by US-based fund in multi-million pound deal, and this is according to The Guardian. Sale of Bridge Farm for 66 million pounds could accelerate legalization of the cannabis drug in the UK. According to some sources, a British cannabis producer has been acquired by a U.S.-based private equity fund in a multi-million pound deal, which some say could accelerate the legalization of the recreational drug in the U.K. Bridge Farm, a horticulture company based in Lincolnshire, has been acquired by Artemis Growth Partners for about $81 million or £66 million. The fund's partners, many of whom our former Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan executives has a large portfolio of companies that sell and advocate the use of cannabis for a number of different purposes, including a medicinal use. Announcing the deal, Artemis said it expects the huge financial pressures on governments around the world after the coronavirus pandemic to cause cannabis legalization and to make it then taxable. Steve Rolls, senior policy analyst at Transform, a charity that advocates for drug policy reform, said such acquisitions may reveal shifting dynamics in the medical cannabis market, but tell us less about the wider legalization debate. The UK may be ahead of the game on medical cannabis production, but we are way behind on actually making medical cannabis available. And unlike the UK, other countries like Canada, Uruguay, Mexico, and Luxembourg are taking steps to legally regulate non-medical cannabis markets as well. Those reforms are changing the public debate globally and helping shift opinion on wider legalization in the UK also. The question is not if we should legalize, but how to do it properly, he said. And I'll end with that statement because that really sums up the entire global industry, that the conversation that needs to be happening. It's not if, it's how. 
It's not and when. how to do it's it. It's not whether, it's when. Right. Yeah. And how to do it in the best way possible. And use the countries who have legalized as an example of, of where to improve and where are they having issues and how can we circumvent those issues. I will say that the fact that this was purchased by uh, a multi-million dollar firm is interesting because those sorts of businesses well, private Sachs, equity fund yeah when you involve those it's that's taking it to a whole nother level well and but a private equity fund they're usually ahead of the curve right of what is what the trends are going to be because they have those analysts and executives who are trained to look for the writing on the wall crunch all day long and so to see a private equity fund delving into cannabis in such a big way is very leading and it just it's sort of reaffirming what we've been saying since the very beginning of Canna Confidential that it's going to be legalized Writings on globally the yeah. it's just a matter of when and how so that's our show for today I hope that you enjoyed everything that we had to share as always if you have any questions about medical cannabis recreational cannabis micro cultivation feel free to send us an email and I would be happy to chat any of the industry over with you have a great week everyone we'll talk to you in the next episode have you Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, then please send an email to admin at kinhana.com. That's K-I-N-H-A-N-A.com.